Hello again and welcome. Welcome to another talk about Jesus's Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. Did I ever tell you the story about the, the young London boy? This would have been back in the 1950s, probably in the days when city gents wore bowler hats. And this lad was a bit of a scamp, a bit of a scallywag. And he had a puppy with him and he got on the bus and went upstairs on the bus and sat next uh, just across the aisle from a city gent who'd taken off his bowler hat and placed it on the seat beside him. And the boy was looking out the window when his naughty dog took hold of this hat and started chewing it. And the city gent looked at this young scallywag and glared at him and was very angry with him, of course. And the boy had this cheeky grin on his face. And so the man said to this boy, young boy, I don't like your attitude. And the boy said, it ain't my attitude, mate. It's your attitude. Well, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus sets out to change our attitudes because Jesus wants to change our character. He wants us to be like salt and light. He wants us to live out the eight Beatitudes. He wants us to apply God's law, not only to the outward actions, but also to the inward thought and heart. He wants us to have new attitudes towards being truthful and to getting our own back and to loving our enemies. And then at the end of chapter five, he came to this astonishing climactic conclusion. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Matthew chapter five is largely about Christian ethics, but the first half of chapter six is largely about religious duties. We need new attitudes toward our ethics, but now we need new attitudes towards our giving, our praying and our fasting. And I'm going to concentrate on the fasting because probably that is the one that we have received least teaching about. But firstly, Jesus tells us we need a new attitude to charitable giving. Chapter six. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Giving, giving to the poor in particular, was a Jewish duty. Let me read to you from Deuteronomy chapter 15. If there is a poor man among your brothers in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your poor brother. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend him whatever he needs. Give generously to him and do so without a grudging heart. Then, because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to do. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your brothers and towards the poor and needy in your land. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 14, it says, he who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their neighbour. 
whoever is kind to the needy honors God. And in chapter 19, he who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. So all Jews were expected as a religious duty to give to the poor. This is in addition to their tithes. This is in addition to other religious taxes that they had to pay. This was their voluntary giving to help those who were poor in their community. And so Jesus said, do it secretly, do it quietly. Don't draw attention to what you are doing. Don't blow trumpets so that people are aware of your generosity and kindness. If you give in a self-seeking way, if you give in order to attract admiration to yourself, then admiration is all you're going to get. J.B. Phillips translate verse two. They've had all the reward they're going to get, he says. And Jesus called this hypocrisy. He used this word three times of giving, of prayer and of fasting. Hypocrisy. This is the word that was used of an actor in the Greek theatre because the actor would wear a mask and the actor might play more than one part. And depending on the mask he was wearing, that was the part he was playing. And so a hypocrite is a play actor. A hypocrite is two faced. And Jesus referred to the Pharisees as being hypocrites. He said of them later, they love human praise more than the praise that comes from God. They've had their reward, which was the admiration of people. There will be no reward from God. Now this ties in with the Beatitudes, doesn't it? Jesus had said earlier, blessed are the meek and blessed are the merciful. And so when we give in our charitable giving, we should give our money away meekly and mercifully. Secondly, Jesus tried to change our attitude towards praying. And I sent out a talk on the Lord's Prayer on the 18th of May last year, almost a year ago now. So I'm not going to recap much of what I said then. But let's read what Jesus said. Verse five of chapter six. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Here in this passage, our Lord gives us some negatives and some positives to help us in our prayers. The negatives. Well, the devout Jew would pray three times every day at set times. They could do this discreetly 
or they could do this ostentatiously. And Jesus says, when you pray, make sure you do it quietly and discreetly and unnoticed by others. Uh, somebody led in prayer in a, a church in Boston in the United States once, and it was a very flowery, elaborate prayer. And somebody said afterwards, that was the most eloquent prayer ever offered to a Boston audience. When we pray to God, we do so quietly and privately within the privacy of our own room. Don't do your private praying in a public place. Don't babble on with mindless repetitions, says Jesus. One Jewish prayer began with 16 adjectives for God. A rabbi wrote, whoever is long in prayer is heard. Well, Jesus taught us to pray much more to the point than that. Positives. Only three subjects are here in the Lord's Prayer. God, bread and sin. And we can use the Our Father prayer either as a set prayer every day or as an outline for your prayers every day. It can, there are within it God's concerns and our concerns. There are three things to pray about God, his name, his kingdom, his will. And then there are three things to pray about yourself and others. The need for bread, for forgiveness and for deliverance. Just notice in passing the allusion to the triunity of the Godhead in this prayer. Our Father, the Holy King and provider of all. Our Saviour, through whom our sins can be forgiven. The Holy Spirit, who gives us strength in trials and temptations. And just as we should give charity out of genuine love for people, not in order to seek their praise, we should pray out of genuine love for God. Remember the Beatitudes. God blesses the poor in spirit. God blesses those who mourn over their sinfulness. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. God blesses those who are merciful. All those Beatitudes are encapsulated here within the teaching of Jesus. That is how we should pray. So Jesus has taught us here a new attitude towards charitable giving and a new attitude towards personal private prayer. He now teaches us a new attitude towards fasting. Fasting is to go without food and sometimes without water. And a fast can last any length of time from just one meal to a day or a week or, or whatever. There was a young monk of Siberia who of fasting grew wearier and wearier till at length with a yell he burst forth from his cell and devoured the mother superior. Well, under Old Testament law, Jews were required by law to fast only on one day per year. The Day of Atonement, it's in Leviticus chapter 16. It says you must deny yourselves and everyone agrees that means you must fast. But by the time of Jesus, fasting had become commonplace. Do you remember the parable of the Pharisee in the temple who, thank God, I'm not like this miserable tax collector. I fast twice a week. Mondays and Thursdays were the fast days for Pharisees. Well, going back to Old Testament practice, they fasted to express grief. 
Do you remember when King Saul died and Jonathan and David was so sad that David fasted in his sorrow over losing his king and his friend? Daniel fasted in chapter 9, verse 3. He fasted in order to express sorrow for sin. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets. In Old Testament days, they fasted in order to express their sorrow over sin. Ezra led the people in a fast as well. In Ezra chapter 8, there by the Ahava Canal, I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children. This is before Ezra was going to lead some of the exiles back from Babylon to Jerusalem. And before they left, they humbled themselves before God and fasted. Also, they would fast before facing an imminent need. Remember, Nehemiah was longing to go back to Jerusalem from Persia, where he was cupbearer to the king. And before he asked the king, he fasted and prayed. Remember, Esther, Queen Esther, had heard talk of a holocaust that was about to be unleashed upon the Jewish people. And she fasted before she took any action about this coming disaster. So basically, before they fasted, after sinfulness or out of sadness or before a challenge, Old Testament people used to fast. By the time of Zechariah, which is about 500 years before Jesus, in chapter 8, he says, This is what the Lord Almighty says. The fasts of the fourth, fifth, seventh and tenth months will become joyful and glad occasions. So by Zechariah's time, they are fasting four times in the month. But Isaiah said God could see no value in fasting if it wasn't accompanied by good works. Isaiah chapter 58. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet, on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarrelling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is this what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn him away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. So Isaiah was not content to see the people fasting and unless also their lives were full of good and generous works. 
Let's now turn our thoughts to the New Testament. The first person in the New Testament to be fasting was Anna, the prophetess, who was longing to see the Messiah and who did live into her 80s to see the Messiah in Jesus. John the Baptist and his disciples fasted, but Jesus's didn't. Jesus fasted for 40 days in the desert after his baptism and just before being um, and, and while he was being tempted in the desert and just before he began his public ministry in Galilee. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught us about fasting. Chapter 6, verse 16. When you fast, do not look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. As with giving and praying, fasting should be done in private. It should not be an opportunity to show off. You should not tell anybody else about it. The Pharisees used to put ashes on their heads and rub their faces in it so to make themselves look uh, really ill. J.B. Phillips translates verse 17, brush your hair and wash your face when you're going to fast so that people won't even notice that you are fasting. In the early church, the early Christians sometimes fasted. In chapter 13 of Acts, there was a church in revival in Antioch. And while they were worshipping and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Barnabas and Saul should be sent out from the church as evangelists. And after more fasting and prayer, they laid their hands on Barnabas and Saul. And Barnabas and Saul went out on their first missionary journey and they opened new churches. And then on their way back to Antioch, they revisited those churches to see how they were getting on. And when they came to those new churches, still new infant churches, they appointed elders in each congregation with prayer and fasting. So we come to the question, are Christians required to fast? Is fasting obligatory for followers of Jesus? And I have to issue a, psych, um, a, a, a sort of health warning here, because I have to tell you that the way I take this is not the way it, it is often taken. Not everyone agrees with me. This is my personal opinion. This is my personal understanding of the teaching of Jesus and of the New Testament which is not accepted by everybody. My view is that fasting for a Christian is optional. Fasting for a Christian is optional. Now, people say, well, in verse 16, Jesus didn't say if you fast, he said when you fast. So he must have been expecting his disciples to fast. Well, yes, he did, because he was a Jew and he was speaking to Jews and it was in their law. And as we've seen, it was in their culture. So, of course, Jesus said, when you fast, don't show off, do it privately and discreetly. But he had more to say about fasting than that. If you turn over a couple of pages to chapter nine, I'll read from verse 14. Then John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn? while he is with them. The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. 
No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Jesus is saying, you don't refuse to eat, at a wedding reception, that would be rude. You don't choose to fast while the bridegroom is still there. But if the bridegroom is taken away, then it would be appropriate to fast. Taken away. This is in the passive voice. The bridegroom has been removed. The bridegroom has been carted off. The bridegroom has been arrested. Jesus here is referring to his arrest, his trials, his torture, his crucifixion, his burial. That is the time when the bridegroom is taken away. That is the time to fast on Good Friday, on Easter Saturday. But we know that Jesus rose again from the dead. And we also know that at the end of this very gospel, Jesus said, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So I ask you this question, has the bridegroom been taken away from us or is he with us? Surely the bridegroom is here. Jesus is with us and therefore it's not appropriate to mourn and to fast. He goes on, you can't put new wine into old wineskins. Wine is effervescent and put it into an old dried up uh, skin that won't expand and give, then the skin will break and the wine will be lost. Or you can't put a, a patch of new cloth onto an old garment because when you wash it, the new patch will shrink and tear the garment and make it even worse. In other words, you can't force obligatory fasting into the lifestyle of the new kingdom of God. Following Jesus is a new way of living. It's a new, it's a new agenda for following God. And therefore, obligatory fasting is inappropriate. Obligatory fasting is inappropriate. Voluntary fasting may be very appropriate, especially if in Old Testament terms, you really need to express sorrow for some sin and you want to show God how sad you are and how repentant you are, then fast, yes. If you want to humble yourself before God for a particular reason, then fast, yes. If you have some immediate need and you want to spend quality time with God without the distractions of preparing food and eating food and clearing up from after food, you need extra time for prayer, then by all means, fast. Or if you're in leadership and you're about to ordain evangelists or pastors, then by all means, fast. So there is a place for fasting, but it's voluntary and it's for a purpose and it must be private and not public. But real health warnings now, if you are pregnant, you should certainly not fast. If you have psychological or psychiatric difficulties with food, anorexia, bulimia, something of that order, do not fast. If you are medically underweight, do not fast. If you have diabetes, do not fast. Don't make yourself ill. 
don't dehydrate yourself because fasting is not obligatory for a follower of Jesus. Remember how recently some Muslims were refusing to have their, uh, their, their COVID jabs because they were afraid of breaking their fast because it was God's obligatory requirement that they do not take in any uh, sustenance during the month of Ramadan in the hours of daylight. And they were worried about dishonoring God. Fasting for a Muslim is obligatory during Ramadan. Fasting for a Christian is voluntary. By all means, choose to fast. You may want to express repentance over sin. You may want to humble yourself before God. You want, may need to seek God and make time to, to seek him in a special way for a special need. But do it secretly. Don't tell anyone. Do it sincerely. Don't do it legalistic, legalistically. And don't make yourself ill. So then in chapter five, Jesus was changing our attitudes towards ethical behavior. He was changing our attitudes towards God's law. And he was changing our attitudes to how we relate with other people and came to that conclusion. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. But now in chapter six, he changes our attitudes towards religious practices, charitable giving, prayer and fasting. Don't be hypocritical. Don't wear a mask. Don't pretend to be one thing when you're really another. Don't do these things for outward show. Give, pray, fast in private. Give, pray, fast sincerely. Give, pray, fast so that only your heavenly father knows. And one day after the resurrection and the final judgment, you will be rewarded. Your salvation is secure and certain because it's a gift. It's a present given by grace through faith. But your reward will be for your good works, which are done for the glory of Christ for the right reasons. So, yes, give money to charity secretly. Open up a standing order to the Padley Centre or to Tear Fund or to the Hope Centre or to Christian Aid. So only the treasurer knows that you're giving. Yes, pray, but pray and don't boast about it. Don't extravagantly tell others what a wonderful time in prayer you had a few days ago. Yes, fast, certainly, especially if you need to repent or to humble yourself or to seek God for a specific need. But don't make a song and dance over it. Don't make yourself ill. The beatitude which applies to all of these three religious duties, giving, praying and fasting, is blessed are the meek, blessed are the humble, their reward, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you love honesty and frankness and straightforwardness in our relationship with you and with the Father. You call upon us to give, to pray and to fast. And we pray that whenever we engage in those activities, we may do it for your glory, for the good of your kingdom, in order that your name might be glorified, the Father's name might be hallowed, and not that any, uh, not that any praise or honour should acquire to ourselves, Lord, but only to you. We pray for your namesake 
and for your glory and for the reputation of Jesus Christ in this world. Amen.